I could sit with discomfort for a day or, you know, as long as I need until I understand better what's really going on so that I can then speak effectively on behalf of it. That's really deep self-control in the sense of self-management. Um, and it's really, it's, it's, it's both hard. It's like you said, it's hard when you get started, but the more you do it, it's like working out at the gym. It becomes so much more intuitive and it's so life-giving. You know, when I, I talk to people about what does wholeness mean, it's not that those emotions go away. It's that you know how to be with yourself in them in a compassionate, caring way. And those emotions respond well and they soften. And you can actually kind of go about your day in a really, um, even when you're feeling hard things, in a much more contented, peaceful, clear way um, without them ruling you. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 21. Welcome back to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. So glad you're spending your time with me for another episode. Today we're talking about emotional health, which I think is so important. Many times I've seen this black and white approach taken to emotions, even for myself growing up, both in and out of the church. You know, the other day I saw a quote that was like, listen to Jesus, not your emotions, as if the two were completely mutually exclusive and cannot coexist. And that's just not true, right? God created us with emotions for a reason. They are a feedback system for us to dig deeper into what's going on within us, our convictions and whatnot. And so they're important. And I wanted to take today to really spell that out. So with me, I have my friend, Dr. Allison Cook. She is a psychologist, speaker, and the co-author of Boundaries for Your Soul, How to Turn Your Overwhelming Thoughts and Feelings into Your Greatest Allies. For 20 years, Allison has helped women, ministry leaders, couples, and families learn how to heal painful emotions, develop confidence from the inside out, forge healthy relationships, and fully live out their God-given potential. Amen. So we're really diving into what it looks like to have an emotionally healthy life. If you're someone who just feels overwhelmed and run by your feelings and emotions, it's time to start reflecting on how to practice deeper introspection, right? How to practice the pause even to allow maybe some of those automatic systems to subside so that we can make way for introspection. Um, and on the flip side as well, we don't want to be completely stonewalling and pushing away emotions that are trying to send us messages about the bigger picture or what's going on within us. It's all equally important. So here is my conversation with Dr. Allison Cook on how to develop a more grounded, emotionally healthy life. All right, so I have Dr. Allison Cook with me today. I'm so glad to finally connect with you live, Brittany. This is great. I know. You're, for me, you're such a kindred spirit. <laughs> 
Um, I just, I love talking to you and uh, you're just uh, so joyful and easy to talk to. And so I'm really happy that we can have a conversation here along with all the work that you've been doing. Well, I, I feel the same. I have loved getting to know you through social media and seeing what you're doing just amazes me. I love what you're doing Aww. and I'm just thrilled to get to connect with you more. Oh, likewise, likewise. So I heard that you did a little acting back in your day. <laughs> I would love to know more about that. And now being a psychologist, like, how did that happen? I love it. Oh, you, my little known secret. So yes, I, so I live in Boston now. Um, but I took essentially, I would say a three year hiatus and I lived out in LA near you out. I loved yeah. it. You got a uh, so beautiful, um, and I studied acting and honestly for me, I mean, I loved doing it and it was, I didn't know exactly, you know, I just knew that I needed a timeout a little bit from my academic work. Um, and I'd loved acting as a kid, but it was the biggest form of therapy for me. I learned mm. so much from my friends, from my coaches, from being a part of that community um, it's still one of the highlights. I'm so grateful for that season of my life. Um, it was just, it, it gave me so much that I still use in my life today in every which way in relationships, in my work as a counselor, um, in all right. sorts of things. So, yeah, I mean, kind of the idea of embodying someone else, I would think would provide a space for most empathy because you're stepping into somebody else's experience, right? And you're kind of living it. Yeah. And so I could see that. Well, I, rem as well. I remember the, it was interesting when I first started the, my acting coach was this just wonderful, you know, well-trained, he'd been in a lot of um, really great productions, said to me, he said, and this was, this was evidence of why I needed to do it, but he said, you have a lot of head knowledge about anger. He's like, I don't think you have a clue where it is in your own body. Mm, and it was like, wow. oh my gosh. You know, I have to actually find it, which means I have to connect to it inside wow. of me, which means I then have to yeah. feel it, which means I then have to understand, you know, and, and so it was literally every character he assigned me was sort of this exploration of where does that, that emotion or that experience live inside of me? And I always say to people, it's the dance of being really connected to yourself, which is the part I was missing right. and also simultaneously being present to and connected to someone else, which is your scene partner. You can't just be up there only in your own emotion and your own experience that you're tapping into. You also have to have enough to where you're present to yourself, but also being very connected to this person with you. And that's really the art of healthy relationship. Um, it's all right. about emotional management, knowing your own emotions, connecting to them, but also not letting them sort of drive you so that you have enough presence of mind to be with the other person with you. And I learned, I, I say to people, I'm like, you know, we learned that in therapy. I learned that through acting. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how there are all these different mediums uh, that are kind of training grounds in the experience of life and how yeah. mental health just intersects in so many areas. And it does, it like, it forces you to be vulnerable if you're in the acting world. I did musical theater and oh, like wow. acting more so as a girl and teenager. And so it's very vulnerable. It is. And so, yeah. So that's cool. And you're doing so many other great things. 
with emotional health and you have your book and tell us, you know, more about yourself and your background leading up to the work that you're currently doing. Sure. So I studied, um, uh, I have a, I did a master's degree in counseling and then I went on to study, uh, did a joint PhD in both psychology and religious studies. And so mm-hmm. my interest from very early on was understanding, I, I really wanted to study psychology, but I was very confused by, um, this was, you know, 15 to 20 years ago when the divide between psychology and faith was, I think even greater than it is today, although it still, <laughs> still right. exists. Um, I I really wanted to understand how the two went together and it was really hard at the time to find a way to integrate them. So that was I was in the in the process of almost completing that program when what happened as is the way with life my journey academically sort of started to mirror my personal journey and I was like, "Oh my goodness, right. I'm studying all this head knowledge and I have no clue what's going on inside of me." And so it was in the middle of that, toward the end of that, that I took the three-year hiatus. And really, that's what allowed me to then come back, finish my program, and finish my dissertation, the dissertation piece. And I discovered um, this model that's called Internal Family Systems Model. And if you've seen the movie, the Pixar movie, Inside Out, it's it's very much... I shed a tear. Oh, it's amazing. Totally did. It's... And that mo- that model, it was sort of like the thing that was like, this is to me where spirituality, faith, and psychology unite. And so from there, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I have a private, you know, I practice, I have a private practice. I started writing about it. I started speaking. I wrote um, a book. Bu- my book is a, it's called Boundaries for Your Soul. It's an integration of the, that IFS approach with a Christian um, theology and spiritual practice yeah. and that what really became my passion because that's a very it's a very spiritually based model so anyway it was sort of this you know from uh, you know academia to life lessons yeah. to then oh my goodness this is really what feels like my vocation and I get to do a little bit of everything I love which is write speak and counsel people and I do that from Boston now where I live with my family you are speaking to my soul. <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh, that weird. is literally yeah. everything. And it explains why so much just feel like kindred spirit there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I, that's another reason why I was so happy to have you on and connect with you because I feel like it, it people like the integration is happening more in a way mm-hmm. that's making more sense and it's coming together. And while it's still not a whole lot of people doing it, there are people out there like you who are in practice and who are integrating. And I tell people all the time, like, look, I'm not, I'm not the first one to do it. I'm not yeah. the only one to do it. There are a lot of amazing uh, believers out there doing this work yeah. and y'all follow her. We're going to drop all of her, uh, all of her links in the show notes uh, to stay more connected with that work. So today we're talking about having emotionally healthy lives. And, you know, because sometimes some people might feel like, or I felt like in the past, there's this balance between, you know, being run by your emotions Mm -hmm. or, you know, having more control over your emotions, but not totally shutting them off, you know, and then Mm -hmm. there's just like, just the management of them, right? And or even just having a healthy relationship with your emotions. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk more about that, but my first question is 
Do you think that because of social media, we may have become a more emotionally reactive society where it's like we just kind of react and we're not taking the time to pause, to process because we live in this like instant Mm. communicative Mm. world now? That is a really great question. And I, you know, I, it, there's got to be a lot of people doing research on this right now. I think the data is still right. coming in on what are the effects. I don't think they're great. <laughs> you know, I think we know it definitely right. is is increasing isolation, anxiety, depression, some of those things. It's so interesting in terms of emotional reactivity. How I've tended to look at this, I feel like social media is the ultimate form of either projection or triangulation. And what I mean by, so for example, triangulation, I have an issue with the person in front of me, but instead of dealing with it, with the person in front of me, which is hard, I, I go to another person and take it out, you know, and, and vent about it to them. And I think social media becomes that sort of pseudo other, <laughs> other person. I can put all my emotions that I'm feeling into that space and never really resolve the things in my actual life. So I think that's one thing, one way it inhibits our emotional health is we're not actually dealing with the emotions at hand. But then secondly, with, you know, we also, if there's, there's no accountability, there's no intimacy. And so Mm -hmm. you're able to sort of just let your emotions take over free range without any of the parameters and health built into a two-way relationship where again kind of what I was saying before you're you both have to understand what your emotions are and then also be aware of how your own emotions are interacting with the person you love with your friend you know with your family member and you just don't have to do any of that work on social media you can just kind of bypass it all together so I definitely think it's sort of a way of avoiding doing that emotional work that ultimately leads to real intimacy, real health, real thriving in relationships. Right. I even think about this in terms of, you know, like social justice, Mm. right? When things happen in the world or not even just social justice, but just issues that come up in the world. And um, while I think there is such a thing as righteous indignation, right, and righteous anger that is totally mm-hmm. normal and healthy when you feel there's been violation, um, but I, but I also feel like that reactivity and that anger it almost makes us feel like we are doing something without doing anything. If that makes sense, like when an issue comes up. We react and we're venting and whatnot. So it seems like we're engaging, we're doing something with this issue. But in real life, we're not really doing anything with this issue. It's just enough to kind of get it off of us. You're exactly right. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't say anything at all. But I'm just thinking like in that that context as well. Because... yeah, it just it seems very emotionally reactive overall, at least when I go on. Um, and I get it. But well, even it can also derive us from the personal work. Like that's right. Saying. And even like it, I, I think you're exactly right with the justice, the social justice piece. There's a, a positive to connecting with, you know, the community side of it. But if if it's sort of an easy substitute for the actual hard work of Right. being in conversation with people 
or standing up for someone or being in a community where you're trying to actually affect some change, (laughs) it's a lot easier to just post. Another area where I think something similar happens is the idea of praying for people. You'll see that, you know, praying kind of, you know, it's so easy to hear a horrible story and just give a quick, and then it's like, am I really laboring on behalf of that? You know, you can't, you just can't labor on behalf of that many people. And again, it's that idea of we're not, we're not designed to have that much data coming into our brains. And so that's a tricky one to navigate. Right. It's very interesting. Um, And then on the flip side, if someone is not emotionally reacting or not posting about it, it doesn't mean that they're not concerned about it or upset about it, but they might be in their personal world processing it or, you know, on a different level or in a different way, you know? So it's like, oh, why didn't you speak out on this? Well, just, you know, social media is not the only medium to deal with those issues and my emotional reactivity online does not equate to my level of concern in real life and I think those get mixed up yeah and then you're getting at a really healthy boundary issue where it's is it okay to say and it should be okay to say you know I don't talk about certain topics on social media for whatever reason that does not mean those topics aren't important to me deeply you know, that kind of thing, right. which is a more nuanced, you know, social media does not lend Very. itself to those nuanced sort of, um, you know, deeper conversations. So interesting. So, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that social media yeah. piece out there as something I've been noticing. But, you know, getting back to the healthy living with healthy, grounded emotions. Why would you say our relationship with our emotions is so important? That's a great question. You know, I think one of the things that has become really clear to me, and I think the church didn't always, hasn't, especially in the last century, looked at it this way, is God made us with emotions. Jesus has Mm -hmm. emotions. God is a God of emotions. There's not this dispassionate, you know, you know, if you really look throughout the scriptures, you know, there's anger, there's grief, there's lament, there's sorrow, all in Jesus. So they're a part of who we are. They're a part of the God image in us that is not bad, right? You know, sometimes it's easy to, you know, it's been kind of the emotions are bad, but no, they're actually, you know, part of who God made us to be. Jesus had all the emotions. And so then the question is, so what is their, their role? And, you know, my, my sense of emotions is that they're cues. They're a way, one way, not the only way, but a, a key way that we process data. We take in information. We know that the brain, the fight flight response, you know, emotion and emotional feeling is one way that we sense danger. Um, it's an important way. Now we also have the, you know, our thought life, how we make sense of things objectively, rationally using our, you know, prefrontal cortex, (laughs) but, but the two work together, the, the, um, emotional brain, the limbic system and the, the prefrontal cortex, they work together to really create a robust understanding of the world around us. And we need that, those emotions, we need to have a healthy relationship with them so that we can understand the information they're sending to us accurately. That's so good. I think that one of the things that have helped me with that is labeling. Because sometimes you just feel what you feel. But you never take the time to go, okay, wait, what is it that I'm feeling? Because 
you might think it's anger, but it's really pain. It's really rejection. It's really, you know, maybe touching an insecurity. And that's really the thing or, you know, and so even just pausing enough, I feel like to label, you know, what is this trying to tell me? And it's, and a lot of times it's like, they're really meant to point us inward. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really amazing. Yeah, that's a really healthy way to look at it. There's the, um, the emotional life is the life within, and that's important. And that matters to God, yeah. right? That it is, we do want to be focused on other people. Jesus said, love others as you love yourself or as, you, as yourself, right? There's, so there's an assumption in there that we have a relationship with ourselves. And that that should give us cues as to how to love other people. The two work hand in hand. And I I love what you said about emotions are sort of this cue to look inside. What is going on inside of me? It doesn't mean everything that's going on inside of us is the final word on truth. (laughs) But it certainly is important to account for as we're going through the world. I love how you're saying it interplays with relationships because – I've seen in my own life, the more that I'm paying attention to what's going on inside of me and that whole processing, the more I'm understanding of and able to speak to that same process that's going on in someone else. And so in my writing, and I'm sure for you as well, in your writing or in your speaking, you know, sometimes people are like, that is exactly how I feel. That is exactly what it is. Or light bulb moment. That's what I've been feeling this whole time. And it's like, well, you know, that comes from my, you know, doing my own processing, just this idea of we can only go as deep with others as we've gone with ourselves. And that's like a ministry right there. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So what might be some examples of like unhealthy beliefs or unhealthy core beliefs we've adopted about emotions based on our environment or or upbringing? Yeah. Because I know that culture, we talk about culture too, including like our surroundings and like what are, yeah, some of those beliefs that we commonly adapt. Sure. I mean, I think the, the, the most common ones, and again, some of this is generational, but we see sort of generationally um, where I think, I think it's changing is what I mean with this, the young, the way people are parenting now is very different than say the way I was parented, um, which is, you know, toughen up, come on, you know, move, move past those emotions, which isn't a bad message necessarily, but it, it, it's missing the both. And I see that you're feeling that way, you know, and how do we, kind of get onto the next task. <laughs> um, and so I think right. we get, we get a lot of messages from our families around whether that are, whatever emotion that we're feeling is bad or, um, you know, to shove it aside or just not acknowledged um, or just, you know, so, so, so many emotions get, get exiled and especially the vulnerable ones. Loneliness is a emotion that I think is very universal on some level, right. most everyone experiences loneliness at some point. It's a hard emotion for people to name because they, well, I shouldn't be lonely because I have people around me. And so we get that message. You know, I have friends. Why do I feel lonely? But if, but it's so important to tap that, you know, I, I said it's sort of like tapping a bruise a little bit. Okay, there's a little part of me. That's lonely. Now, that doesn't mean I have terrible friends. It doesn't mean I have a terrible family. It doesn't mean I'm in a terrible relationship. It's just something to notice. And then from there, you know, you can go into, is it 
is it part of my present reality or is this a part of me that got exiled long ago? And that I, I see that so commonly in the people with whom I work with loneliness, where they're actually not really, quote unquote, lonely anymore, but they grew up in families where lots of their emotions were exiled and sidelined and sort of invisible. And so they're left with sort of this part of them that just has this experience of being on the outs, being on the outside. Right. And and so we need to go back to that and heal that, you know, that, that kind of thing. But, but all that to say, I think our early years in our families are huge. Our environments, our church communities really um, convey those messages, even if it's not overt, even if it's not, if it's not saying it's bad that you feel that way. It, it, it's just even if, right. even if they're just not, isn't a space to learn how to bring emotions to the surface, especially the painful ones or the hard ones. Totally. It makes me think of two quick examples that I've heard. Um, one is uh, with the loneliness mm-hmm. issue. I've seen it brought up among believers, among Christians, where it's like, you know, you're lonely. Oh, you know, just go to Jesus or you, you know, Jesus, you have Jesus, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's true. Like in this spiritual existential way, it's like, yes, we're, you know, we're never alone. God is always with us, but we also have these physical human needs yeah. and I feel like it gets bypassed. Yep. Um, and I, I don't know, like we do that a lot for some reason and I've seen it a lot. Yeah. And so even just like that, kind of unbalanced view of loneliness yeah you you just put your finger on the term for it is spiritual bypassing and it's very common um, in faith-based communities when someone brings up an uncomfortable emotion to just say well god you know even sadness i feel like well god god's given you so much how can you be sad or how can you feel angry you know you need to pray that god will take that anger away and, and I hear what you're saying on one level, there's quote unquote truth in that, but it's bypassing that, that emotion is there for a reason on some level. It needs to be yeah. addressed with compassion with, with, um, you know, Dallas Willard says, understanding is the basis of care. So we want to try to understand mm-hmm. what is that loneliness Um, Is it deeper? Is it just sort of, maybe there isn't much to it and that's okay, but let's give it a little bit of attention. And the irony with emotions is that they're like little kids. If you give them some attention, they tend to, especially if there's not deep trauma. Now, if there's trauma, it's a whole different story. Then there needs to be a lot more healing, but they do tend to just want to be acknowledged and then they tend to soften, but we're afraid so often of those harder emotions that we we exile them you know or our community you know says oh god will just take that away where maybe you know i always think of how jesus was if we look at the gospels you know who were the types of people that he spent the most time with it 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 was the people who were suffering it was the people mm-hmm. in pain um it was it was the people who were in trouble and there's no way that he's rejecting you know, I take from that, if we transport that to our internal world, those parts of me that are suffering, he's not saying, oh, just uh, let's just get rid of that. He's saying, come to me. You know, I'm with you. He's with us in right. those emotions. <laughs> you know, that's the comfort. 
Right. It really is that challenge of leaning in. Yeah. And I know even for me and my journey of healing and recovery and becoming more emotionally grounded and whatnot, it, I think what's difficult about it is it's, it gets harder before it gets yeah. easier. But it does get easier, but it gets harder yeah. first. At first, you're leaning in and you're like, oh, I haven't dealt with this in a while. Or, you know, these emotions or these yeah. feelings or these issues have been dormant. I mean, they've been sitting within me. And sometimes, I know for me, it was like, I don't want to address that because that might be Pandora's yes. box. If I open it, I don't know if I'm going to yeah. come back yeah. from that, <laughs> from going down that hole, that rabbit hole. But, yeah. um, but as you lean in more and more, I think that it's like one... It's hard at first, but like you said, then you kind of soften. Like it, it gets it gets better, it gets easier, especially if you are working through with someone, yeah. if it's something more yeah. serious. And then two, it, it actually develops a lifestyle within you that is okay yes. with sitting with your emotions, which for me, that's something in um, like now and in recent years that exists and has space in my life that didn't yes. before because I was in these circumstances and environments that was very toxic where I, I learned, I, I trained myself as a girl to shut yeah. down my emotions. Yep. Don't feel, don't feel, don't cry, don't cry, yeah. you know? And yeah. so then growing up and giving space, I mean, at first it was like everything blew wide open yeah. <laughs> emotionally, but then it got yes. easier. And then I, then I was able to have this lifestyle of, leaning in yeah. and that just that just kind of turned everything around for me yeah. um as far as my even just mental health work and my relationships and everything yeah that's that's so well put and I agree with you it can feel worse before it feels better which is really important when people are starting on the journey and the analogy I like to use to sort of you're tending to your emotional health it's very much like yeah. attending to your physical health you know if you um, you, you develop habits and you, you, it, you really do your emotions start to trust you and they start to respond to you, you know? And, and so I still right. feel, you still feel a full range of emotions. So now, you know, I've practiced just what you're describing, trying to be really good emotional habits where I'm trying to stay connected and sitting with emotions and being aware of them and inviting God to be with me in them instead of trying to make them go away, you know, being, God, right. here, you know, I'll do every morning, you know, God, here's, here's what's going on inside of me. And I'm, it's without judgment and without censorship. Here's what it is. Right. You know, so I, as you do that practice, you still will notice the things, but there's so much trust you've developed with yourself, with those parts yes. of yourself, with God, that it's, it's, you know, when I, I talk to people about what does wholeness mean, it's not that those emotions go away. It's that you know how to be with yourself in them in a compassionate, caring way. And those emotions respond well and they soften. And you can actually kind of go about your day in a really, um, even when you're feeling hard things, in a much more contented, peaceful, clear way um, without right. them ruling you. And that's the paradox. We, we, you know, if you give them a little bit of attention, they actually won't rule you. <laughs> right. So. And you're more comfortable giving that to others, exactly. you know, because you're giving it to yourself. Like you were saying about spiritual bypassing earlier, it's like when we want to like the quick fix and the quick response or the blanket answer yeah. to someone's pain, it's really because we're uncomfortable with emotions. We're uncomfortable yes. with yes. the hard stuff, right? right? So we're trying to detract it and it's like 
you can tell when someone is comfortable is okay with it you know and it really just revolutionizes the way you operate in your relationships and it starts with yourself and so I really love that and what you're saying about basically how emotions and God are not mutually exclusive they can coexist uh something that I saw on Pinterest not uh, too long ago was a quote and it said you know follow Jesus not your feelings Mm. or something of that Mm. nature and I keep seeing this language like they're two like they're opposites like Jesus and your feelings are opposite each other and I get where it's coming from they're talking about like spirit versus flesh and I think flesh gets pegged as emotions um I think that like you know it can get into our emotions but you know just kind of differentiating that and like the devil's in your emotions and he's you know trying to get you know I I think that also deters a lot of people I think in the faith from dealing with it like just you know tell your emotions shut down your emotions don't listen to them you know the devil's in them he's leading you into sin like through your emotions type of thing where there's I there's some you know there's parts of that that yeah we do have um you know that sin nature and those you know desires and whatnot that can come through that are unhealthy but at the same time well it can also come through your thought it's not all your thought life too you know so to me that's sort of a a modern because if you read if you go way back in church history, lots yeah. of folks, you know, St. Augustine, you know, John Calvin, um, uh, all, you know, talk about the importance of, and it gets back to your point of knowing yourself in knowing God, the two go hand in hand. And they talk about that. How can I know God if I don't first know myself and vice versa? And knowing your emotions is not the same thing as saying my emotions are God. <laughs> and the thing right. is, emotions can can so so can thoughts so can our physical physical bodies you know can cause harm you know anger unfettered can be very destructive anger can also really show you where you're being violated and an injustice is occurring it's an important emotion we need anger and it can do harm and it can do great good (laughs) and that is all the more reason to be very very mindful of and aware of your own anger so that because if you ignore it all that does it's like ignoring a you know that's why this internal family systems I love because it's it's like it's the idea is we have a family inside of us sort of of these little characters within us a lot of times that have emotional connotations that we need to parent and if you're a parent and you have children and you're like okay that kid is just really scary to me I'm just going to ignore that kid, right? That is not going to be what that kid right. needs. And and instead, it's like, man, that kid really needs my focused attention to understand and really help harness all his or her energy for good. And that's what we do with our emotions. You know, sadness, sure, mm. it can take us over and really cause, you know, people can get, you know, it, it can... It, can go into self-pity or, you know, um, you know, depression, whatever these things are. I would, I would actually not so much depression, but more like, you know, you know, I can just be sad and gloomy and look at the glass half full, half full and that kind of thing. But, but the, the remedy to that isn't to ignore sadness and pretend like I'm happy all the time. It's to go, okay, wow, there's a part of me that tends to be sad. 
And I got to, I got to really get to know that part of me and I got to understand it so that I can from parent it, essentially lead it. And from time to time, Hey, you know what? We got to get out. We got to take a run. You know what it's, and, and then from time to time say, you know what? There's a couple things I have to be sad about, and it's okay for me just to let myself cry for a little bit. You know, that's that's self-leadership mm-hmm. and managing emotions as opposed to denying them or letting them run roughshod over our lives. Right, right. And so I guess that really leads into my next question. How do we have a healthy balance of tuning into our, you know, emotional feedback system yeah that's giving us intuition while also not being ruled by our emotions and assuming them to be always true. Like where's that balance where it's like, okay, I do need to tune into my emotions because they're telling me something, but at the same time, not being just run by them um, because they're not always telling us the truth. They're, you know, they're uh, being blinded by pain or by, you know, past traumas or whatnot. And they're not always giving us an accurate picture. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do we, how do we navigate that? So we can have, so we can live in harmony with our emotions and still be grounded. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing, but I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the signup process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. 
Yeah. So the the first um, the first thing I'd say is is that's why we called our book Boundaries for Your Soul because we're actually talking mm-hmm. about healthy boundaries internally. So healthy boundaries with my even good you know healthy boundaries with um, empathy, even healthy boundaries with anger, healthy boundaries with sorrow, healthy boundaries with fear. The idea is if you think about interpersonal boundaries, it's this idea of a healthy distance. I want to be close to you, but I don't want you to take me over and consume me. And I don't want you to be so far away that there's no relationship. So a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. is this healthy connection where there's enough space for you to be you and me to be me. And it's differentiation, right? And that's the psychological word. So what we're doing with emotions and the paradox is when you focus on an emotion, you're actually differentiating from it. Because when you take a look at your emotion, you're getting a little healthy distance from it. When you name it, you can tame it, right? Yeah. So it the paradox is to keep that balance is we have to actually focus on them a little bit and go, oh, there's that anger. So that, that that's the first step is to focus on your emotions a little bit because that actually gives you space from them. And what's going on in the brain, which is the second half of my answer is, you're bringing in that prefrontal cortex, which is your slight, you know, your more thinking, um, objective. You need both to kind of go, okay, what's going on? Is there something I really need to be angry about? Was that person doing something that hurt me? Or am I just in a bad right. mood and I didn't get enough sleep last night and it's raining outside and that's okay too, but I need to not then take it out on this person because they didn't really do anything, right? So it's both acknowledging the emotion, right. but also applying, you know, it's both, I always say it's both and it's, it's, you know, and I think historically we've erred toward, okay, it's all about being objective and then it's all about my personal experience. Well, it's both, it's both understanding my yeah. personal experience and applying some logic and some reason and some reality testing, you know, and it, it, it to assess, right. you know, okay, I'm feeling this way. How much of it is rooted in something that happened to me that I need to address and how much of it is rooted in, man, there, this is, this is just something, you know, that's, you know, maybe it's, you know, whatever it is, but you, you get some perspective on it, which is the, the operative word. Um, it's, and again, it's not with condemnation or judgment. It's just, oh, that's, Mm -hmm. and that's so freeing when you get to that point of that's why I'm feeling that way. Okay, cool. You know, like it really resolves those emotions. It really does. That's all they, they wanted me to know something's going on. And so then I don't have, then the motion kind of, again, softens because you understand it. I completely agree. I am such a nerd. So (laughs) when I was first kind of learning to be more introspective and navigate my own process, because it wasn't natural for me to pause and do that at first, right? Because life is happening and you're just reacting to life. I used to actually, so for me, it was through writing, I guess, for something more practical. I would even write, like make tables in my journal. And it was like, this is what I'm feeling. This is what triggered it. This is my automatic thought wow. about it. Here are here are two other ways that I could look at this. Or this is what I'm really feeling. And I would and I would actually write that out until it actually became a thought process for yeah. me in my yeah. life. Where like you said, you that you'd bring you'd feel it, you go, okay, this is what I'm feeling. That's interesting, you know, and then you bring in the executive functioning yes. where it's like, okay, yes. 
where or that metacognition where you're thinking about your thoughts. Exactly. You know, you're like, okay, this is how I responded to that. Wow, that was a that was quite a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's really bothering me? What was my first thought about yep. that? Like wh- that followed. What was my automatic thought? Because that's probably pointing to like a core yeah. issue. And then, like, what are maybe some other objective ways that I could see that? For just, like, brief example, maybe they didn't text back because they're super busy yeah, right now. Yeah, or yeah. maybe it's because they're going through something. Or, I mean, that's just one example. But yeah. that has really helped me bring that executive functioning, like you said, that prefrontal cortex, yeah. along with the feelings and letting them coexist. And it has helped me become so much more grounded emotionally in my life where I'm just not reactive. I feel at peace. And then, and then when you, when it's so powerful, like you're saying, cause you understand again, understanding is the basis of care. So we, we've got to understand our emotions, not to let them rule us, but once you understand, then you can decide, okay, do I need to take an action here? Is this something I need to speak on behalf of? I would say speak on behalf of your emotion. So, okay, this is something that really hurt. And I'm not not feeling like I can just get over it, even though I understand it. So I'm going to have to go to that person and say, hey, you know, but you're not doing it when you're in the emotion, when you're speaking from the emotion. It never goes well. Don't do that. (laughs) Why did you do this? You're such a jerk. That's usually never good. Yeah, Yeah, but it gives you so much more strength and just health when you actually do need to address yeah. a situation you're you're much more on top of um what you're saying and you're going to say it in a much more effective way i love what you that you added the the neurology and the biology of it because the emotions aren't just in our heads they're in our yes. bodies right yes. and like our bodies have these responses where the cortisol is shooting yes. through our veins <laughs> like the stress response and then our heart's beating and then our thoughts are racing and so it's like what you just said like not in the moment yes. but i kind of tell myself like okay let it let the emotion let the bodily response the physiological response subside yes. also let me see how i feel yep. once that has kind of come down because you know that kind of intensifies things and sometimes it's just like let me sit on this for 24 hours because there have been some times where it's like 24 hours later that didn't really bother me I was just you know for whatever reaction I was in my reaction you know and I can look at it more objectively once those physical reactions came down yes (laughs) So, you know, so that has been sometimes just like, okay, wait, wait, my body's responding. Now's probably not a good time to make decisions or conclusions about this situation or this person. I'm not, my, my frontal lobes have shut down. Yeah, it's what you're describing is so beautiful. And it's actually, this idea is really the, the, it is a spiritual practice. I believe what you're describing. It's not a bind, you know, this it's not we do this work and then we go to God. I believe what you just described is a spiritual practice of becoming the, it, you know, it makes me so excited. You know, I'm like, that's you becoming more of who God wants you to be, more of who right. he made you to be. You're using all of those beautiful skills. And to me, the fruit of the spirit of what you just described is self-control, which isn't controlling, mm-hmm. like gritting your teeth and like knuck, white knuckling it. I'm just not going to say the thing. It's it's the real <laughs> fruit of self-control, which is I right. can sit with discomfort 
for a day or, you know, as long as I need until I understand better what's really going on so that I can then speak effectively on behalf of it. That's really wow. deep self-control in the sense of self-management. Um, and it's really, it's, it's, it's both hard. It's like you said, it's hard when yeah. you get started, but the more you do it, it's like working out at the gym. It becomes so much more intuitive and it's so life-giving. Amazing. Yeah. I've had some friends that are like, you're so like put together. I'm like, no, right. no, 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 no. I have the same emotions as yes. you. I feel them at the same intensity yes. as you and in the same spaces and reactions. It's about like the steps we take after yes. it that kind of dictate our emotional life. Their skills you so can learn. So that was beautiful. Yeah. They yeah. are. They are. I think that's key. They are learnable their skills. skills you can Anyone learn. can learn and practice these skills and really change their yes. life by them. You don't have to live flying off the handle or being run by your emotions or, in, yeah. you know, um, you can learn skills. And obviously, if you're someone who's living with a diagnosis where it is more of a battle, yes. um, there are definitely um, tools and you might need more yes. tools, but there are tools to manage um, a functional life yes. today, especially today. We have so much now yeah. with everything. Yeah. So you brought up emotional boundaries and I, and I just, I would love to talk more about that as well as your book and uh, spiritual boundaries. I would ask while I have you here, I would love to talk about like what that looks like in church because there's this obviously the body is supposed to be united right and whatnot and there's this big push to be unite in unity mm -hmm. um and in love which is entirely true but then how do boundaries work into that uh in the same body that you're supposed to be united with but you might be experiencing those violations of yeah boundaries and whatnot Nav just navigating that in the church system yeah that it's a great question I mean I, I think the first thing what we we have a model of diversity and unity in the trinity um and yeah. so I think the first thing to understand is unity doesn't mean group think it doesn't mean we all think the same way we all feel the same way you, if you look even at marriage or friendship the beauty of it is the the differences coming together and so there's there's sort of this dance of both being you and being part of a community. And boy, do we not talk about this in, well enough in our culture, right? right? It's either one, you know, I got to just be me, you know, I'm going to do me. Well, yeah, yes and no. And But then there, on the flip exactly. side, there can be this like, we're united, you know, no divergence of opinion allowed, you know, and you're not, you don't feel like you can actually say, hey, I'm feeling left out here. Or I'm feeling like I don't have a voice here, you know, so either extreme is really right. problematic. Um, and so I do think, and I, this, I'm so glad you asked the question because I'm developing some content around this right now, because it seems to be such a need of, you know, how do yeah. you in a church community live out that both and of, um, and it, it's, you know, it's, it's like you take a family, right? And, and if you look at family systems, what, what we, what we, we want harmony in a family, right? And I think this could be applied to a church. Harmony is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of difference. And we have this idea that harmony is like, everybody's right. just like, La, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, looks the same, it, thinks the same. Yeah. Harmony, acts the same. harmony is if you've got, let's say a family, you got four kids and two parents, let's say whatever the family is, it's each person has a role and they feel empowered to 
to perform that role for the good of the whole. And those roles could be really different. And so when you get in trouble with a family is if one person and their giftedness and their talents, the family is like saying, that's bad. We don't want that here. Well, then that's a lack of harmony. And we need to figure out how to make that that family large enough to create a space for this personality that doesn't seem to fit. You know, so it's a lot of work <laughs> is the bottom line right. to create a whole out of a lot of, you know, it's like, or you could use the metaphor of an orchestra. There's a lot of different pieces and each one needs to play their own part. Um, and so as a church community, we have to really figure out that both and of different giftedness, different opinions, different backgrounds, different struggles. And how do we create room for people to be different while also coming together toward a common good? Um, Right. And it, it can be tricky. There's a, there's a, you know, it can go to either extreme. I think it gets toxic when, like, and I've seen this and I've heard this a lot where there is that, uh, put that group think, like you said, where, you know, everybody has to be, you know, thinking the exact same yeah. and whatnot. And if you're not, then you're in rebellion yes. or you're falling away right. or, you know, whatnot um or even some cases uh, people are ostracized you know or even just distanced you know and there's not that space for diversity and give or take if there are core values that just don't mix maybe that maybe consider seeking another church and that's okay you know but yeah i've seen that as well where just like if you're not thinking exactly on the same page you know um then you're in rebellion. And, you know, and that, that could be very, uh, ca- actually cause a crisis of faith yes. for people. Yes. So even just like managing boundaries in that, because that gets so sticky, especially when you believe that these group of people are, you're really just all kind of all you have sometimes. Yes. It's not unlike a family where our church communities, we, that we want there to be a level of safety and trust where you'll receive me and love me as I am and as a valued contributing member of this body. And it's so painful when that's not honored. And yeah. it's not because of some, something wrong, <laughs> you know, that I'm doing, you know, like I'm not... Um, you know, poisoning the well, you know, so, so to speak. Right, um, right. Um, so it's, it's, it's really a, a, I think for folks, you know, when I write about this, I'll, I'll talk a lot about being, being as, as far as personal boundaries at church, you know, kind of testing the waters. And, and it, this is true in any relationship. Watch for those red flags. Is it okay for you to, to be in a small group or be in a Bible study or be at, at the fellowship hall and say, you know, I don't know if I agreed with everything that I heard today. I liked this. I wasn't sure about this. You know, test the waters a little bit. Don't just give your trust away in that sense, the same as you wouldn't to a friend or someone you're dating or, you know, you, you, and I'm not saying test in that sense of like in a bad way, but just cynicism, right? You're not talking about cynicism. No, I totally but, hear but you. Be, yeah. But, but, you know, make sure there's space for you know test the waters a little bit before you because what's really painful is if you are really vulnerable really let yourself all out and then you get stamped on that's really hard and painful Um, and you can recover from it but you do you know that kind of betrayal from a church community I really think is up there with betrayal from a family member 
it's I think very so painful because we we wrap that up with our image of God. Yeah. So. Yeah, and in adding to that, that um, you can definitely recover from that. Like if you're someone who's experienced it, because you know I've just throughout my lifetime I've seen different experiences like that, and even in my own family going through things like that, yeah. and that one experience is not going to be the only thing that marks or defines your experience of faith in the church. Um, There are other ones out there that are totally healthy. And I encourage, you know, seeking those out, seeking out a healthy community in spite of what you've been through, even if it's at maybe a a a slower pace than before, because you do have those wounds. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, Thank you so much for touching on that. I did want to, while I had you here, uh, I did want to touch on that part really quickly. And so, you know, just wrapping things up so much. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff shared here today. Tell us about how we can stay connected with you. Any other resources you may have, you know, your boundaries for the soul book, um, all that, all the good stuff. Yeah. Thanks. I would love to, um, stay connected. I, so the best way to find me, my, on my website, which is just my name, alisoncookphd.com. I have several free downloads, one of which is an audio guide that is actually for trying to help you. I take you through a series of questions to help you connect to emotions in a compassionate way and even invite God to, to be near you as you're connecting to the emotion. I call it a boundaries with emotions audio guide. Um, and then I have a couple of other, um, free downloads. So you're welcome to go, you know, download those freebies. Um, and then my book boundaries for your soul is a five step process to befriending get, you know, we talk about getting curious, befriending, inviting God in, you know, and then unburdening and then integrating your emotions into a wholehearted way of being. So it's a great book to do with, you know, a small group. If like, let's say if you're in a church where you're like, man, I really want there to be more vulnerability, but I don't know how to do it. It's a great book because it's very, you know, we, we bring in a lot of scripture, but it's very focused on emotional health um, in a spiritual context. So you can find that anywhere. It's on Amazon or, um, you know, anywhere books are sold. So, um, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And so you can follow me there with my name, Allison Cook, PhD. Thank you so much for everything that you're contributing. Uh, It is no small feat (laughs) to be putting out that much content. And so I appreciate you. I appreciate your sharing here today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brittany. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Until next time.